HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Greenhorns Radio here. This is Thursday. It's a great day in the Hudson Valley of New York. I'm your host, Severin, with the Greenhorns. And once again, we are here live on the radio talking about issues facing young farmers, um, businesses that are profitable for young farmers, um, ideas uh, which are emergent in our culture, which have relevance to the young farming population who will um, give us an edible future. And today... We are sponsored by Hearst Family Ranch on the Heritage Radio Network, and we're joined by Marguerite of Mother Plant Nursery. Marguerite, are you there? I am. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Glad to be here. I'm very glad to have you here, um, and I'm very glad to be able to talk with you today about a business which is a very nice business that many young farmers ought to be considering, and that is the nursery business. Would you mm-hmm. mind introducing your mother plant nursery um, to our radio audience? Sure. I started mother plants with my partner, Lexi, five years ago. Um, we specifically grow the plants for green roofs. Um, so we ship all over the, the northeast, really. Um, we're based outside of Ithaca, New York, but um, our business is all over, the, all over the east, wherever UPS can take plants in a day or two. Now, um, this is a nursery growing baby plants for green roofs. Mm-hmm. And to describe a little bit the um, scale of the operation and, and what, um, what kind of plants grow on green roofs even, that's a, the that's a very beginning. Um, they're all drought-tolerant plants um, and pretty low maintenance to boot. Uh, predominantly, they're in the genus uh, sedum. Uh, people are pretty familiar with sedums. They're in everybody's yard generally. Um, and then a bunch of related plants, some natives, some grasses, um, and some other succulents. Uh, and there are just three of us uh, who work here. It's, it's my business full-time, and Kelly is full-time during the growing season. She's my nursery manager. She works part-time in the winter. Um, and then we get additional hands on board when there's, a, when there's a project we've got to get done. But it's a pretty small operation. We're just a little, little family farm, uh, and that's the scale I like it. Um, I wanted part of, part of my reason for starting the business was to have a... Um, a good place to raise kids, and, and that I wouldn't, I could be at home working and have the kids at the same time. And now I've got my eight-month-old daughter Phoebe on my back all day, every day, while I'm doing my job, and it's pretty cool. So you're running a nursery business that's serving the city, which is mm-hmm. similar to how a farm operates. But you're, mm-hmm. but you're, and you're on an old farm, but yep. you're actually running, um, <coughs> you're actually running a business that could be run 
like out of a parking lot in Southern California. How do you um, how do you compete with those other kinds of nursery business? Well, because we specialize in only green roof plants, um, it is it's a it's a niche market for us. Uh, we we try to stay really well educated on green roofs and follow our plants, see how they perform in different circumstances, all that kind of thing. So, although we do most definitely uh, compete directly with giant nurseries that also grow these plants. Um, we offer not high volume, low cost, but wide variety, high quality, and excellent help, customer service, and information uh, that goes with the plants. Because often people will call us, and they want a green roof, but they don't know which species they want, or they, they need some advice. And that's something that I can offer. I don't charge it you know, for five minutes chatting on the phone about, about which plants might work best for somebody. And that, uh, that kind of customer service appears to get us jobs. So, um, on this farm, which you which you run as a nursery, what else is going on? Are there other enterprises that are supported by the nursery? Or uh, there are a number of different enterprises that we share space with. Um, we our farm is, is an old farm. It used to be a small dairy and cattle business. Um, you know, it's an old old farmhouse that we had to gut and totally renovate. We bought it. We moved from a smaller location because we ran out of space. Uh, we've got 45 acres here, but it had really nice farm infrastructure existing. You know, it's got a shop and tractor sheds and all that kind of thing, which would cost a lot to build new if we'd had to do that. Um, so we, to help us defray the cost of, of buying an existing farm, uh, we share our space with a friend who's a timber framer who uses the, the hay barn section of, the, of our old hay barn. She uses that as her, her timber framing shop in the summer. Uh, we have another friend who has bigger horticultural dreams than he has space in his mid-city lot, so he rents about an acre from us. And in exchange, he helps us do all kinds of chores. He's a great tractor mechanic, uh, so he just earns his keep in trade for using space. Um, and then there's a couple of other sort of uh, potential options out there in the works for, for also working together with other friends on our land. My background is organic uh, vegetable and livestock farming, actually. Um, I helped start the student organic farm at Cornell mm, 10 or 15 years ago, Dillman Hill. And I've worked on a bunch of other people's farms. Um, but here in Ithaca, there is a, a large and vibrant uh, organic veggie community already. Um, and I'm friends with a lot of people in it, and I didn't want to start a business that competed directly with all of my friends. They're already doing a better job growing carrots than I ever could. And even then, finding it a hard way to make a living. And I don't, personally, I don't have a, um, a subsidy that allows me to not pay a mortgage. You know, I've got, I've got mortgage payments. Some people have spouses or have families that have helped them afford their land, and I don't have that. So I needed to find a business with a reasonably good rate of return that, um, that I could count on season after season to actually pay my mortgage bills with. That's what led me to the nursery trade. It never interested me before. I was always a, always interested in food production and sort of thought nurseries were boring. I have no interest in poinsettias. But I do have a strong personal conviction towards, towards doing something good for the world, and my, and my green principles led me to green roofs. Um, let's, let's, it's so wonderful to hear you describe your, um, the background to the ideas of the convictions that led to a business talk a little bit more about that community in Ithaca and the, um, the co-op and the farm scene around there and, 
and what what makes it a great place to live there? Why does it why is it a great place to live and um and how are other people fitting their businesses into that already established local food community? That is a great question. It is a great place to live for a lot of reasons. Um I really like the juxtaposition of rural living with really strong culture and diverse culture. Um, having Cornell and Ithaca College here in town means that there are people from all different countries and, and people with all different tastes here. So there's restaurants of all kinds. People come to come and speak from all different countries. So it's it's really fun culturally. It's like living in the big city in terms of if you ever wanted to go hear something or see something, and yet five minutes out of town, you're in rolling cornfields. Um, and I really like that. And I think a lot of other people do, too. It's, it's a good combination. Um, and so there are a lot of young farmers here in town uh, as a result. And we, you know, there's a big and vibrant network of us, everybody doing their own thing. There's a really good farmer's market here in town. Um, what was the rest of your question? I think I, I kind of got off track. You guys had to figure out a business that would fit into that already booming right. local food economy and farmers markets being, if not saturated, at least you know um, abundant. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe you could describe a little bit of the dynamics of a more mature local food community like Ithaca, businesses like yours that come along that are um, more specialized to um, flesh out rather than compete with on what's already going on. Right, and I think that a lot of people are trying to come up with different ideas of, of food processing businesses uh, that would add to rather than compete with the existing uh, food production locally. Um, and, you know, recently we've added uh, local grain and milled grain into flour. Um, my friend Tor has got a mill going. Um, so that's really cool. Now you can get organic bread flour that's grown right here in town. So there's a lot of lot of people thinking about local food and trying to figure out niches that you can actually make a living in. Um, I remember when I was first starting starting looking at businesses, I was taking a, a small business course that's offered here in town, and I was I was going through the numbers. I was thinking that I wanted that my value adding process would be something along the lines of maybe I'd grow tomatoes organically and then make ketchup and then sell the ketchup. But then I started doing the math of well, how many jars of ketchup get eaten a year in Ithaca, and how many jars could I envision, you know, what percentage of the market could I get versus Heinz versus the organic regular ketchup you can get at the co-op, and how many jars of ketchup would I need to sell? And suddenly I started thinking about my life, and it was going to be as a truck driver delivering ketchup all over upstate New York. And and the cost of materials, it didn't really matter whether I used organic tomatoes I grew myself or bought truckloads of tomatoes from some non-organic grower. It was just a fraction of the price of a jar of, of ketchup, no matter how you sliced it. It was really my time and the rental of a commercial kitchen that added to the cost of making ketchup. And so that's what kind of talked me out of doing that, because what I really wanted was to grow, grow the tomatoes. I didn't want to be a ketchup delivery girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that just kind of sent me thinking through business models of, of what can I grow <coughs> that has enough value, and what do I want to do with my day? Do I want to be a delivery person? And a marketing person, do I want to actually keep my hands dirty? And, of course, that's one thing that even now I find hard is I end up in the office more writing invoices and placing phone calls and less time out actually with my hands in the dirt. I, I manage to do some of that always, but not as much as I'd like. So this is exactly the kind of thinking that many of our listeners, of our young farmers who are thinking through their um, business 
aspirations or who are thinking about how they can um, grow their business to have a higher profit margin so they can afford babies. Um, this is exactly the kind of strategic thinking that people are doing, and it's really nice to hear um, so transparently your, your, your thinking. Um, if, I, if I'm allowed to, I want to switch the topic like really radically and just ask you if you could tell the story of the way that you get your barns painted. <laughs> the way I get my barns painted. Um, I hope I don't say the politically incorrect thing, but I'm just going to tell the story as it is. Um, okay. So I asked the old farmer who, whom I bought this place from um, how he got his barns painted, or maybe he just you know, mentioned it on his own. He said, oh, the southern black barn painters will come and paint. And I thought to myself, oh, uh, that's not something I really know anything about. Okay, take your word for it. And it went out of my mind. And uh, so then, you know, a year later, I was standing in my shop one morning, and a really nice pickup truck drives in. And this white guy with a really strong southern accent jumps out of the car and starts talking to me about painting my outbuildings. And he's talking so fast. Usually southern people talk so slowly he can keep up with them, no matter how strong the accent is. But this guy talks a mile a minute, maybe two miles a minute. But I finally figured out what he's saying. He shows, he walks over to the barn, and we talk it over. He wants to charge this, wants to charge that. And I said, you know, he wanted to charge 2000 bucks for a certain amount of work. And I said, I don't know, that sounds about right, but let me think on it. I'll call you back. And he said, how about 1400 and I thought, wow, we just dropped $600 off the price just by me saying, let me think on it. Anyway, so it seemed like a good deal suddenly. So I said, okay, sure, that, that sounds like a deal. And he drove off. He said, I'll be right back. Drove off, and about an hour later, drove back in again with, with the old black-eyed John, who does all of the work in his enterprise, in a, in a beat-up old pickup truck. And they pulled up to the, to the barn, and they poured out the paint into the giant compressors, and... The black guy does all of the work. He runs up and down the ladder. He paints everything except for the half an hour during which he takes lunch. And then the white guy does some work. And then it's back to the black guy doing all of the work again. But he does a great job, and so my barn is painted. And, uh, and it's just a very funny operation, just the, the, the way it runs. And, and the guy who runs it all says, oh, you know, I fire John ten times a day, and he quits ten times a day. But we're still working together, and we've been doing it for, this way for 30 years. So go figure. But that's how I get my barns painted. It's such a funny thing, and I've been trying to find like online presence of this um, particular kind of nomadic barn painting operation. <laughs> I would not expect there to be an online presence for them. No, I haven't succeeded at all. But I feel like it would be. Um, there's these wonderful artists down um, in South Carolina who paint barns and who like you know deconstruct barns that are condemned and then install them in art galleries and paint them. And I was feeling like. We needed to have a meeting of these two very different kinds of barn painters. But, um, yes, very different kinds of barn painters is the least of it. So we've covered a little bit why you founded a nursery and the balance of um, life chores that happens when you run a business <coughs> that depends on invoices and shipping and, and a lot of logistics and consulting. Um, do you have... Thoughts about that you would give to other people who are thinking about along nursery lines um, of of parts of the nursery business that are as yet um, as yet not totally filled up. Like, do you see there being space in the marketplace for say um, more um, seedlings for organic 
urban gardeners or I definitely or, think there's lots of holes in the marketplace. I don't know what they all are. One of them one of them occurs, that occurs to me is organic uh strawberry transplants. Um I don't know that that niche is filled or filled very well. I think you can get them from some places, but it's not an easy thing. And so if if there were more organic strawberry transplants, I think that would be uh, a hole that could be filled. Um perhaps another one I don't know, organic fruit trees in general, I feel like there are not that many um, uh, nurseries that, that cater to, and maybe there are and I just don't know about them, um, that cater to small homesteaders and all the, the different variety, not just apples and pears and, and cherries, but there's huge varieties of fruit out there um, that can be grown organically and, and need to be selected for organic production. Uh, because your average homesteader is organic by default, if nothing else. Um, what other holes do I see? Well, there aren't many organic regular nurseries, ones that sell, you know, standard stuff to the to the average homeowner. But there are a few, and it's a growing movement. And I think um, I think more players will will ever strengthen that. But I think I think my advice for any aspiring farmers is is the fact that there is a strong difference I feel between farming as a lifestyle and a beautiful way to raise kids and a nice place to live and farming as a money. Um, they're two pretty different things, and I see a lot of people I know struggling with the two. Um, educated, well-meaning people who, who really are drawn to the lifestyle of it, um, who find that the making a living end of it is much harder. And, and often it can make you hate the farming to know that you're losing money at it. And when you all you all you really wanted was a beautiful place to live and raise kids, and make money a different way, because um, it, it can be a hard dichotomy between making money and and farming, farming for fun. Um, that just brings up another um, another business that I know in Vermont, and they raise their kids in a beautiful way, and they raise animals and vegetables in a beautiful way, and they, you know, various enterprises are variously profitable on their farm. And they care variously about them, but um, unexpected cash crop emerged in the form of hanging um, hanging geraniums. Mm-hmm. And this, this singular farmer, um, she just started growing a few geraniums, and every year they sold out, so she just kept growing more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And basically, she says that the geraniums take up space in her greenhouse that is over the walkway, over the pathways, and isn't like basically wasted space. Mm-hmm. And she said it. And she said it just pays. Old, it pays the greenhouse heating bill. It oh, goodness, yes. People are way more willing to spend exorbitant amounts of money on ornamental plants than they are for food. You know, people will haggle like crazy over the price of your organic cucumbers. Oh, no, how can you possibly charge that much a, a pound? You know what they charge down at Tops, you know? They're only 17 cents a pound or whatever it is. You know what I mean? But, you know, $79 for that pretty hanging basket? No problem. Hand over the cash. It's astonishing, the mentality about it, but it's true. Food is food people get haggly over, ornamentals people spend stupid amounts of money on. Well, may, may we not be contaminated by this ornamental-type thinking in our movement. May we continue to be um, um, beautiful, beautiful thinkers and continue to want to grow things that are edible and useful along with the um, ornamental. But I, I agree, it's sometimes very difficult standing at the farmer's market looking at a woman's $900 shoes as she kind of squints at your onions and thinks, ooh, those are pricey. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, well, how much did you spend on those shoes and how many times will you wear them before you throw them out or give them away? (laughs) 
it's hard. It's difficult, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of there's a lot of maturity that we need as 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 marketers of our products and as um as the um diplomats of our of our operation in the world to, mm-hmm. to get along. So these are the kinds of learnings that we all have to engage in as we grow our businesses and as we grow our aspirations to make sure that we can handle all these different roles that we have to play. Um, we have one more moment of thinking of thoughts that we could be thinking that would be useful to people who are um, engaging in this kind of work. Are there any particular resources that you used, institutional or academical, um, that got you to the place where you are today as a successful small business person that you would really recommend people check out who are in this process? Well, I found it really helpful to take a small business course (coughs) at our local credit union. And, of course, that wouldn't be available to all your listeners, but there might be similar resources available. I did a lot of the um, free consulting and such with small business administration and all that kind of thing. I didn't find that nearly as helpful as just the small business course I took locally. And picking the brains of other small business owners in in a similar field. Um, It wasn't that the course gave me all the information I needed. It's that it showed me what information I needed to look out for and how to find it. Um, To, you know, think things about, oh, I need to know about sales tax. Where do I find out about sales tax? How do I get that done? Oh, I need to think about bookkeeping. What are the ways of keeping books and how can I think about that? Um, Just because even aside from the farming, the business is a business no matter what you sell, whether it's widgets or carrots. Um, And so becoming a good business person is definitely... I think the hardest hardest part of farming and, and the part we all like least, we all want to be out there with our carrots. We're not that interested in, in the rest of it, but, but we have to be if it's going to support our, our love of carrots. Well, I'm so glad that your love of carrots is supported, and it's such a pleasure talking with you. Um, would you mind just mentioning again for our listeners um, your website and what exactly um, they could call you about if they wanted to support your business? Absolutely. Our website is... At and uh, we specialize in, in plants for green roofs. And um, we also mix organic potting soil. And um, so if that's of use, anybody who's listening who might be up towards the Finger Lakes, we do bag it and super sacks. Um, and, and that's the kind of stuff we do around here. So there you have it, supersonic, um, super compost, I mean super organic soil mix marguerite from Mother Plants Nursery. And this has been yet another episode of Radio Greenhorns, Horns Radio. Um, once again, I would like to remind you of our many upcoming events. One in one in making elderberry syrup. Lots of things um, to do, lots of things to be involved in, and lots of preparing if you haven't yet got your apprenticeship eyes out for next season. Now is the time to start testing out the farms going up and visiting, getting on track so that you can, um, again, pursue the sustainable agriculture career of your dreams. Thank you all for joining us. Talk to you next week. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.